0: Good morning. He is risen. Amen. It's so good to be here on the day we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at uh, the Gospel of Matthew. If you're not familiar with the way the last part of the Bible is put together, it starts with four accounts of the life and death and resurrection of Christ. And this is the very first one. Um, I'll be reading, you'll see in the bulletin on page something. No page numbers. The one that says April 17th on the bottom. (laughs) I'll be reading that. Now, I do want to say if you're visiting here, uh, my lack of proofreading of the bulletin has been the cause of stumbling for many. Many. And I did, I did not make that same mistake this time, but I have added a passage upon reflection that I'll be reading from the very end of chapter 27. Um, if you have a Bible or an app, you can turn to it. It's, it's not necessary. I'll be reading um, just the, the last section that will lead into the part in your bulletin, the last six or so verses. The next day, that is the day... After the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first." And Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. So I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up to him and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled the elders and taken counsel, they gave sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole them away while, he was, while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him. And keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mount to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you uh, have sent your Son. You have granted him dominion over everyone and everything and everywhere. And he is surely here with us this morning, and we come to you in his name, and ask that we might believe the story of his resurrection, and tell it then to the world. Amen. So I was uh, busying myself with some Netflix documentaries, and I saw a documentary on the secret life or secret mind of slime or something. Have you seen this? So, evidently, there's a whole movement in uh, biology. Slime is a single-cell creature. And the whole point of the story was to prove how slime actually makes decisions without a brain. It's really fascinating. Slime turns out super interesting. Okay? <laughs> Way more interesting than I thought since I've been six, like when I thought slime was awesome. So, um I wasn't convinced, but I'm also just almost finished with a book called The Story Paradox by a man named Gottschall, who's a linguist. And, and here's his thing. He goes through all these remarkable uh, research about stories. And then as he gets to the end of the book, swept up in the vortex of his own momentum, he starts uh, relaying uh, neurophysiology test done on the human brain something called functional MRI it's basically a video MRI of your brain and um, here's his conclusion this is a super smart guy I think he's from Yale or something here's his conclusion we don't actually make decisions because something happens in our brain before we make a decision that precedes the moment of deciding and so therefore no one makes any decisions so you decide now which story you want to believe, that slime makes a decision or you don't? The reason I, the reason I bring this up is that the world is, uh, has forever and surely is now in a big story fight. That's not just an internet thing. The, the world has always been in a big story fight. And uh, it won't stop. This sermon will not end the story fight, but it will remind us, and I trust introduce you if you're exploring Christianity, that our story is Easter. And that's the story we're telling about the world, because it's the story our Savior, the resurrected Son of God, told about the world. So we're going to look at two stories. We're going to look at the Easter stories. First, The powerful win. That's the story of the world. The powerful win. We'll see who wins at the end, but let's let's start and see who's involved. That's why I went back to that end of chapter twenty seven. And there's this convergence of two kinds of power, two emblems of power still alive and well today. Uh, The one are the religious and the other is the civic. And they um, they meet together. And they conspire to tell a story about who wins. About the triumph in one case of, of uh, righteousness and morality. And in, in Rome's case, the triumph of the sword and Caesar. But they're both stories about different kinds of power about who wins. Now, the um, priests and the Sadducees, they come and they're You know, think of the the Pharisees in the Bible as uh, the strong, uh, reformed religious right who really do, to their credit, believe in the resurrection and they believe in the scriptures. And the Sadducees are more the ensconced, established religious who are trying to uh, navigate and keep their life together and appease Rome. And so these two find their way together in the midst of... um, We're going to see what day they're on in a moment. And they converge to tell a story about Easter. What's involved in that story? Well, the first is the assertion that the idea of Easter and the one who is at the center of Easter was an imposter who told a deception. This imposter, this liar, well, he's going to trick his disciples, or he's convinced them beforehand to tell a story about his resurrection. They don't believe this because they believe in triumphalism. Theirs is the religious triumphant. You know, they said, if you remember um, the story These are the same group of people that stood before the cross and said, save yourself. In other words, become triumphant through your righteousness because God would never let a righteous man die this way. And so to them, the proof of Christ's um, deceit is actually in his death. Of course, who are they speaking to? They didn't want a humiliated savior. that was offensive to him, to them. But who were they speaking to? They were speaking to Pilate. And, and Rome couldn't have any space for, in their mind or heart or their laws or their rules, a, a dead Caesar. And so Pilate, who also believes in the story that the powerful triumph, Pilate has no room for Jesus either. Are you the king of the Jews? He even says to to Jesus, I could set you free. In other words, I'm in a position of power at this moment. And then he makes that mocking gesture. That mocking gesture over his cross, king of the Jews. You know, we still live in a world, and too often the church enters into the world of triumph through power through the exertion of our relationships our money we often try to exert our authority based on our view of history and what America is supposed to be this is all the hegemony of of the powerful trying to make the world what we have the muscle or economic means or political means to make it but let's talk about their story people who tell this first story are the ensconced religious and civic leaders. And what is their story? Well, their story is, as we've said, um, that Jesus is a liar and that his resurrection is his last great lie, or really his people's last great lie. But I, wanna, I want us to look again at uh, what's happening when they tell this story. You may remember that we were told this was the day after the preparation. Preparation for what? Well, it was Passover, but it was also um, the preparation for the Sabbath that was on that Saturday. So these what do you do after you win? Well, you rest, right? Unless you win by power. And these priests and these others, they're not at the synagogue. They're not at the temple, are they? Where are they? They woke up still afraid of the one they just killed. They're afraid of a story that's not true. They're afraid of a rabbi who's not alive. They're not resting. They're not worshiping. They're not feasting. They're meeting with a Gentile oppressor of their people to make sure that the story, that the powerful win is not eclipsed by a better story. It's really a remarkable scene. Much has been made of, uh, if you study this account of Easter, much has been made that, that the church just goes running. The church, it's not our greatest moment. I mean, when Jesus is arrested, everybody flies off in different directions. People deny him and everything else. Then, then when he's crucified, there's really nothing said about the disciples on Saturday. We're all hiding. We're afraid. Granted, we're afraid. You would be afraid too because, because Easter hadn't happened yet. Actually, we'd probably still be afraid because we are now, even though Easter has happened. But who's really afraid? The priests and the Pharisees are afraid. Who else is afraid? Well, I think Pilate's a little afraid. Now, you might not think of Pilate as a scaredy cat, but remember what his wife said to him? If you're familiar with the story, when, when Jesus, when he was examining Jesus, his wife sent him a message, said, I had a terrible dream about him. Don't mess with him. Everybody here is scared. The winners are still scared. And they're still telling a story. Now, this is what I find the most remarkable, almost the most remarkable account of the resurrection besides the resurrection itself. Um, Jesus had been telling his disciples for at least a year, probably more, maybe not right from the start of his three-year ministry, He had been telling them that he was going to be crucified and on the third day rise again. That's a common theme in his teaching. Not a single disciple remembered it. Nobody did. Not a single one of us churchy folks took a note. But who remembered it? The only people that remembered that are the people that crucified him. I'm pretty sure, I, I meant to look, but I'm pretty confident it's the only account of anything that happened on Saturday. And here we have the winners who are afraid, actually the only ones telling the true story, trying to make it into a lie. So, this is what comes of The powerful, they did not want the story of Easter and they would tell any other story. My son, when he was about four, I came in to tell him to clean his room and he didn't clean his room. I don't know. It's just—it's a thing. I don't know if that happens with your kids. But I came back and he still didn't clean his room and he was laying on his bed. And I said, Ian, I told you to clean your room. And he was surprised because... I had told him that like 90 seconds earlier and that was forever for him. Like, and he, he was laying on the upper bunk and he said, I can't. I said, why not? I'm paralyzed. <laughs> Seriously, that was his story. I said, all right. And I just walked away and he didn't know what to do. It's like I'm going to let you live in your own story. Because I got you as soon as you move, you little 4 or 5 year old, as soon as you as soon as you can't stay still, we're going to know. So I just waited out there and yeah. He's still not great at cleaning his room, but that's a different part of his uh, of this illustration. What I want to say is that we're we're bound to a story that we want to make true and we still want to make this story true. Jesus, this quote deceiver, deceiver um, he took apart that story. That was, if you're exploring the message of Christ, he took apart the story that the religiously righteous please God with their own morality. He took that story apart by, well, the hard part of it was teaching us all that, you no, know, we're not ever going to be that person. That you are a sinner who deserves the crucifixion and the judgment of God. And not just you, but me and every one of us. He undid the story about the powerful getting the earth. Who did he say was going to inherit the earth? The meek. He he undid the story about, about um, the first. He said they would be last. And about the strong, he said they would be weak. He undid all of those stories. That's what he does. And he caught the world in its lie that ultimately when everything is said and done, it's going to be about who is powerful, who has influence, who has money, who looks good. All the currency of the Culture around us. And of course, of course, the person who would come and challenge the world's story would become the world's enemy. So listen, every time I use my money, I use my position, I use whatever I have to. To tell that story, I'm making myself in a fashion his enemy. Now, thank God he loves his enemy me. But think of it this way. The story is over. That story is done. Easter, as we'll see in a moment, is our story. Imagine imagine Hitler uh, after, after the brutality of the battle for Stalingrad that he could not win. Millions of people died. He turns then to the west and then a little while later the allies take Normandy and start marching across. But the war wasn't over yet, but it was over. He couldn't win east. He couldn't win west. And he was caught then in the middle. And that's what Easter's done for us. One of my favorite glimpses of this kind of thing is in Acts when, when the church prays and they say um, this, the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed for truly in this city there were, they were gathered against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod, the Jewish religious king, and Pontius Pilate, the Roman civic king, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. They conspired, right, to do what? To do whatever your hand had predestined to take place. God's telling his story. The Easter story is getting told. Remember what we just saw? The only people that remembered that Easter was coming were the people that tried to make it into a lie. I know the angels smiled when they said that, they're like, somebody remembered. So let's take a look at the second story that the losers win. On the other side of the cross, who's over there? Who's who's over there in this side of the losers? Well, this is what I want you, if you're exploring the faith, that I want you to understand. No one, except those people who wanted to make sure we thought it was a lie, none of Jesus' disciples expected the resurrection. They, They would have just as likely expected the, the bunny and the eggs thing as they expected the resurrection of Yeshua. They ran, as we've said. They hid, as we said. They, they came out with spices to, to properly bury him. They had no idea. They scattered to the hills. We still scatter. We're going to see that that unbelief follows Jesus all the way to the Mount of Olives and all the way to Meridian and all the way to All Saints, all the way to his people. But I want you to know, if you are not sure about Easter, you just might be one of those losers who's going to win. I want you to know that if you're here and you've followed Christ for all these years, but wondered sometimes, well, maybe if the resurrection is real, but maybe if he's paying attention to you, maybe if he cares about your children, maybe if he cares about your job, if you've wondered at all, if you've doubted at all, maybe you're one of those losers who's going to win. I hope you are a loser. Listen to the story of, of these women who came. There's some really beautiful and insightful um, moments given to us about what it's like to encounter Christ. Now, if you look at the bulletin, you'll see that goes from announcement to adore, to oppose, to rain. Just like if you weren't here last week, what were you doing last week? Anyway, that's one question I have. But, but the other thing is, now that I'm not giving you trouble anymore, my other, you can go listen to how all these things were announced. God told the story before he told the story. He did the Babe Ruth thing, not to be trivial, but he just called, he called it. He had been for thousands of years. But so let's look at the announcement. The women come. The women come and uh, there's a great noise and the earth shakes. Remember when the earth shook last time? when he was crucified. And, and before the crowd was declaring the announcement, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then, um, now it's an earthquake and an angel oddly sitting down. I'm trying to think, I was trying to think this week of other accounts of angels just chilling out. But this angel is sitting on the boulder. I want to, I, I have questions about that. And he makes this announcement. And what does he say? I know you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. And then he says, but remember the story that he told you. This is the story he told you. He was, he's raised from the dead, just like he said. Just like the story he told you. Just like the story when he said the world story of triumph and power is untrue. The story of sacrifice and service and the substitution of the Son of God for sinners like you and me, that story's true. It is so true that it's going to break death. And so they've stumbled there with this... uh, Momentum of affection. We can't call it faith because they just love Jesus and now he's gone. And and their devotion to Jesus, their affection for Jesus, puts them in a place to be reminded of the story. By an angel. I want you to see, and we'll, we'll see it again, that um, the angel gives them the story. They get the story... Before they see the Christ, they get the word before they see the resurrected one. Because Jesus wants us to remember that our story is Easter. And so they hear the announcement. What's remarkable is that they're the only ones that hear the announcement. What happened to the guard? The guard doesn't hear the announcement because they're out like dead men. But his people hear the story. Now, if I'm doing this, I'm making sure the guards hear the announcement. But they didn't hear the announcement. He's telling his church what the story is. And then they adore him. They adore him. They fall at his feet. He says, greetings. Imagine that moment. They know something's different. They know the tomb's empty. They're reminded of what he said. They're running to the disciples. And there he is. And he says, hello. And they fall at his feet and they hold his feet. And they worship him. He's announced, and then he's adored, just like he was in the triumphal entry. But he says something interesting to them. He says, again, don't be afraid. Now, now why why would he say that? Well, of course, because the last time they saw him, he was dead. So, obviously, they would be a little disrupted. But remember this too, they're clasping his feet. They're not running away from him. My pastoral guess is he's telling them not to be afraid, not to be afraid of the world and its story that they just saw him conquer. Don't be afraid anymore. Peace I give you, he said. My peace I leave with you. Not like the peace of the world. Not like the piece that says, you're strong enough, you're wealthy enough, you're smart enough, you are filling the blank enough, you're going to be okay enough. That's a recipe for fear your whole life. And you and I, for those of us here who are well enough ensconced professionally and economically, that is our great temptation. It has been the churches in the West and in America's temptation for over 100 years at least. He's saying, don't be afraid of that stuff. Hold on to me. Well, what happened in the sermon on the, I mean, in the triumphal entry? We saw last week, he came, he was adored, and then he was opposed. He cleansed the temple, just as he had just done, by the way. How did Jesus cleanse the temple again? By cleansing humanity through his death and resurrection. And making us a temple of the living God. And how is he opposed? Well, of course he's opposed with a story. He is then opposed with a story. Because the world is a big story fight. Slime has brains. We don't have brains. The, the powerful and the righteous win. Or the weak and the broken wind. And so they, uh, the guards wake up and freak out and see an empty tomb, no angel, no nothing. They just run to the priest. You know, you might or might not know that they're afraid to die because if you lose your prisoner, even if they're dead already, okay, you, you're going to be dead with them. And what do, the, what do the priests do? Well, they do what the world does. They do what we do. Let's look at our own history as a church. They leverage position and um, material resources to tell their story. And it, it works and it doesn't work. It still works to me. I still believe that story if I'm not careful. And you do too. The story... <laughs> That if I'm strong enough, if I'm righteous enough, if I succeed enough, I will win enough. So they oppose him. And then, and then he reigns. Just to go back to the sermon, I mean, why do I keep calling it Sermon on the Mount? The triumphal entry, Sermon on the Mount, is different. And... uh, Triumphal entry comes in and all these things happen. He announces his coming. They adore him. He rips the temple apart. Then they oppose him. And then, as we saw last week, the blind and the lame come to him and he starts to rule with his compassion, making the broken whole, the weak strong. And now he's making the sinner Holy. And he comes in this glorious passage at at the end of our story. He comes to the weak and the uncertain. And he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. More than Caesar. More than the high priest in Jerusalem. More than Pilate. And what he's telling us is that he will tell the story. I'm actually so excited that the, the uh, heresy, the Christian heresy of rationalism has fallen apart. And now we're, by the way, I do believe in reason. So don't come to me afterwards and say I don't. But, uh, but, but this idea that there's a story that can be told with reason and power that everything can be known and scientifically proven. The world's never been that way. I I tell you this, it was never supposed to be that way. The righteous shall live by faith. That's not to say Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. It's just to say that you have to believe, you have to decide, you have to choose whether or not Easter is your story. Or his moralism or his might? Is triumphalism your story? But there's hope for you even if you're not sure because in one of the most remarkable um, moments in the Bible, at the end of this passage, Jesus, by the way, we're pretty sure this is right before he ascended. So let's review what he's done for 40 days. He's had meals with them. He's eaten and drank with them. He walked with them he taught them by the holy spirit he showed up in rooms that were locked he's been doing this for 40 days and what do we read he comes he comes to the disciples on the mount of olives and some what if you saw jesus would you believe don't be so sure Some doubt it. Some doubt it. It kind of sounds like he's talking about the 11, but maybe he's talking about the other 489 that were there. If you don't believe the story, you won't believe it when you see the one it's about. If you don't believe the announcement you won't believe the king that's announced. And it's scary too. And it's always been our challenge and mine as well to believe it and then live as if it's true. Because this story that Jesus died for your sins and rose for your justification, that he proved that the world is upside down and backwards, that we're all living in a circus mirror, Changes everything. Listen to this uh, Flannery O'Connor scene. She's a sort of gothic short story novelist and uh, wrote some amazing stuff. and, And in her story, A Good Man is Hard to Find, there's a very evil guy named the Misfit. This is what he says right before he does a viciously evil deed. Jesus was the only one that ever raised the dead, the misfit continued. And he shouldn't have done it. He'd thrown everything off balance. If he did what he said, then it's nothing for you to do, but throw away everything and follow him. And if he didn't, then it's nothing for you to do, but enjoy the few minutes of life you got the best way you can. In this character, this misfit, He gets the story right. In some ways, even in his unbelief, like the priests earlier at the end of chapter 27, he gets it more right than you and I get it. Easter is our story. And if it's true, it's nothing for you to do but throw away everything and follow him. That's what I invite you to do. I invite you if you're here visiting with your family or friends and exploring Christianity or if you are not exploring Christianity but you thought it would turn into a good meal afterwards. I just know because I think I might have done that once. But I also say that to you who are at your 50th Easter or in my case my Probably 35th or 40th or something. If Easter is our story, there's nothing for us to do but to throw away everything and follow him. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercies. I ask you please to help us to live as if it's true. That the world has the most significant things profoundly wrong. Not just about those things that we think are wrong too, Lord Jesus, but even about our wealth and power, the things that we think we can make right. Everything is backwards and upside down. You are the resurrection and the life. Help us live with you, for you, and by you. In Jesus' name, amen.